Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. In this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about sports-specific footwear. Specifically, we have a conversation about golf shoes, running shoes, cleats, and lifting shoes. This segment is sponsored by our travel sponsor, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport all of our gear for seminars and workshops. You can check out their awesome cases at nanook.com. We're also sponsored by Craft Manufacturing Company, who supply our office and podcast studios some awesome standing workstations. All of their stuff is handmade from scratch in Ottawa, Canada, um, and they're made to order, and they're just super high quality, which is actually very hard to find with everything being built in China now. So you can check them out at craftmfgco.com. Lastly, we're sponsored by tfc-shop.com. Um, it's the online store for the Foot Collective and your one-stop shop for healthy footwear, foot restoration products, and balance beams. So that's it for sponsors. Let's get into it. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet or the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey guys, Nick and Mike here for another episode of Shop Talk. Uh, today we're going to do kind of an impromptu episode and we're going to talk about uh, sports-specific footwear. So we get a lot of questions about this and uh, we just wanted to kind of have an open discussion. Uh, we're going to talk mainly about golf shoes, running shoes, cleats, and lifting shoes. So the good, the bad, the ugly, how these things can be improved, uh, the problems with the way some of these pieces of footwear are made right now. So um, yeah, we can get right into it. So you know, everyone knows that we're kind of on the barefoot side of things, right? And it's funny how everyone takes like this very tribal approach of, okay, are you pro barefoot or are you pro shoe? It's like, well, we're just, we're pro health, right? We're trying to make sure people have good function over their feet, which by default, you know, means we, we advocate for barefoot because that's the most uninhibited way that your foot can function. Um, but I think you would agree with me that there are cases, use cases where for sports, certain types of footwear can be performance enhancers, can allow you to perform better. Um, so let's go over that. Let's start with a golf shoe. So, you know, neither of us golf every single week, but um, what do you think about golf shoes? Yeah, so I think the real issue is not necessarily like, are you going barefoot or not when you're doing some of these sports? Because there is some benefits. Let's take golf, for example, on the traction that you get, yeah. the grip that you get from the ground. I agree. Now, we got to look at the shoe itself. Because the, what you might be getting in terms of the benefit of the traction, you might be, you know, sacrificing sacrificing other in terms of the shoe build, how yep. narrow it is, uh, the heel in it, how well you can grip the ground, how thick it is, all these other things that come into play. Yeah. So let's break those down. Well, first off, the other day, the other day we were at the range and on the turf at the range, you know, we had four guys there hitting balls and just um, having a chat and we were all barefoot and it felt, I don't know about you, but it felt amazing. Oh yeah. You can definitely get a lot more connection with the ground when you're when you're barefoot so yeah. and it just felt very natural and we weren't slipping around because there was no now when we talk about like grass it might be a little bit of a different story especially if there's dew wet on it grass or something like that. Yeah. yeah so that's where again you might be sacrificing a little bit of grip but you can really if you have your feet down and gripping the ground you're not going to be slipping around too much yeah. um and i think I want to start. I want to play around a golf barefoot and see how Me it too. goes. That's just it's just something interesting. It's almost like if you could have little spikes on the bottom of your foot, <laughs> then you'd have the best yeah, traction like available. The best but, golf shoe would be a sock style, like almost a glove for your foot with these little micro um, kind of grips on the bottom to give yeah. you more traction than you would get otherwise. So if there's dew in the morning and you're going out for a round of golf, 
you want to put something on your feet to prevent you from slipping and sliding around. Um, but like you said, it's more about the shoe. You know, there's good golf shoes and, and not so good golf shoes. You know, mm-hmm. when I worked at a golf store, uh, some of these floor shine or some of the older golf shoes, you try and bend and twist and there's nothing there. It's basically a plank of wood. Yeah. And so, okay, you're getting the grip from the studs underneath it, but you're also squishing your forefoot because a lot of them adopt this kind of like uh, classic dress shoe sort of look. I think golf shoes now are switching to more like functional athletic looks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the shoes that they almost look like dress shoes. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. And like my, my dad's old golf shoes had like, it looked like a dress shoe. Or it a bowling a, shoe. Yeah. Or a bowling shoe. It had a big heel lift, had a narrow forefoot, was stiff as shit. Um, and so, you know, compare that to a company called True Links that sent me a couple of their golf shoes to try out. Super flexible, zero drop, um, still had the grip underneath, but it had a wider forefoot. So it adopted all these features that we look for in better shoes where it's like wide forefoot, flexible, you can bend it, twist it, um, no heel lift. So the whole thing's flat and as thin a sole as possible while still giving you some traction. Mm-hmm. So I think with golf shoes, they're yeah, I think it'd be cool to try a round of golf barefoot, and I definitely want to try that just to see. You probably have to do it when it's not super dewy or, or kind of wet grass. Um, but if you're going to wear golf shoes for golf, it's it's not a bad thing. Just make sure you're wearing a good quality shoe. Yeah, exactly. And so. it's just so I, I'd say it's the same principles as, as a walking shoe or any other day to day shoe. Mm-hmm. Apply that to golf yeah. because again, you don't want to sacrifice foot function and connection to the ground just for the sake of getting that extra little bit of traction. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of counterintuitive. You're just kind of ruining your what your foundation just to get more traction. Yeah. Um, so, so wear so wear a golf shoe to give you traction, but don't sacrifice all the other parts of foot function just to get that traction. I mm-hmm. think it's a moral story with that. Um, and True Links Golf, uh, they make some good shoes. You can check them out, Google them. Um, their shoes are pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, just the better shoe you wear with go- golf, big part of golf is your feet, right? That's where you um, that's where you generate your power from. To get power from your hips, you have to have good foot position. You have to have good foot function. Plus, you're, if you're walking 18 holes, you're doing a lot of walking. Mm-hmm. And if your foot can't act like a foot when you're walking for four or five hours, it's going to take a toll on your foot function. So, um, yeah, just make sure you got good shoes. It's not whether to wear a golf shoe or not. It's wear a good golf shoe. Exactly. You know, flexible, wide forefoot, uh, thin sole, and uh, flat. Next one up, and this is a really controversial one, is running shoes. Okay, so I think it's important to put this out there before we even talk about this. The way you run, the technique you use when you run is the most important thing. Okay, way more important than the shoe you're wearing. But... And like Daniel Lieberman is a Harvard anthropologist and the way he's, he's uh, big into barefoot research and, and barefoot running as it relates to injury prevention, the way you run is the most important, but the shoes you wear affect the way you run and don't underestimate that. And that's a, that's a big thing. So, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, barefoot running is a fad. Well, wearing shoes when you're running is really the fad because we haven't been doing that for that long, right? Yeah, exactly. Bill Borman, Phil Knight came out with the first cushioned, heel lifted cushioned shoe in 1972, before that, we really didn't have, they were very minimal. Like all running shoes, all shoes period, except for like fashion shoes, um, were extremely minimal. So we haven't been doing this experiment for that long where we put slabs of cushioning or air under our shoes. So I think we have to look at, is that one of the culprits for why so many people are getting injured running? And I really think it is. From what we see in clinic, at least, you know, it's Every patient I see that has a running injury and we have the footwork conversation is wearing heavily cushioned shoes and I think it's giving them problems. And is it to make up for other things too? It's almost like the running companies just say like, you know, people are getting injured, let's just keep putting more pads. That's what it mm. seems like they're doing. Um, that's just going to take away that force, that impact if you are, it allows you to just land however you want. Basically, it's like if you just take that same 
logic and and put like let's say six inches of padding like with bubbles under your feet you like you could land at any angle you wanted you could Mm -hmm. land at any orientation you wanted you could you could jump from ledges and and land on your feet um that's not necessarily a good idea and land on your heels land on your heels um yeah that's not necessarily a good idea um you're you're sending that impact through the rest of your body but like i said back to you should you should be i think Barefoot running is a good baseline test of whether your running form is on point. I agree. Um, so I think that like the the real the real test is can you run barefoot? Let's say for any given distance. Let's say 100 yards. You, can mm-hmm. you run barefoot in that time? Yep. Uh, and get away with it. Do you have the the mobility in your ankles and your feet? Mm-hmm. Do you have the technique to be able to do it? Um, the stability. And does it feel do super it? weird? Like some people, it, I had one yeah. patient that went out for like a barefoot run in the field, and she's like, I'm running totally in a weird way and i told her i'm like you're preventing by running barefoot you're preventing yourself from heel striking so if you're running in a totally different way it probably means you're heel striking and running with poor technique when you're wearing your running shoes Mm -hmm. and i think that's the most harmful part i don't know if you'd agree but the most harmful part i think of running shoes is the super thick cushioning at the heel for sure because it just allows you to heel strike with no thought as to how you're actually interacting with the ground it it just makes you be more when you're barefoot it makes you be more efficient and yep. and we can talk about what efficiency is, but it, efficiency is, hey, when I don't have anything on my feet, my body needs to adapt and change on the fly because it doesn't want to get hurt. So mm-hmm. your body is naturally changing your pattern up based on not wanting to get hurt and being efficient. So I think that is the baseline way we should be running. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, putting shoes on after that shouldn't change that so Mm -hmm. then it's like okay well if we if we know that's probably the most efficient way to run Mm -hmm. well why should we run differently when we put shoes on just because we can is that the answer if we if it's just because we can then i think we should look back to what is the best way to run and then apply the same logic outwards because again if we're looking at running longer distance i was talking to you about this yesterday if i sign up for a half marathon or a 10k in a month um you know with less than ideal training, I'm probably going to wear some sort of padding on my, on my feet. So I, I would probably, I threw out like the new balance minimus where that there's some minimal padding, uh, at the heel yep. and underneath the foot. And that would just give me, cause I've run in those before and it just gives me a little extra cushioning if I'm running those longer distances that mm-hmm. I haven't trained for barefoot style. When I say yep. barefoot, I'm not completely barefoot. Um, and you don't have to be completely barefoot. We're talking more like very minimal shoes like yep. vibram barefoot or shoes barefoot shoes. human shoes yeah kind of how we're calling it now so so again i think the baseline thing is that i'm trying to run the exact same way as if i was barefoot yeah however the little padding gives me a little extra shock absorption yeah allows me to go for longer distances it's a bit more forgiveness too a little like bit it's, more forgiveness. takes away like the edge of that impact um but the point you made is it shouldn't by going to a shoe with a bit of cushioning, you shouldn't be altering the way you run at all. No. It's just an extra little bit of cushioning on your forefoot. If you're, you know, if you're running, if you're training long term for a 10K, I think you would probably run in something with no cushioning. But yeah. like you said, if, you know, for longer distances, it really is how you're interacting with the ground that determines how much shock there is on your body. So if you're running with good technique, and I've put this post up before, if you run well, the hardness of the ground or how much cushioning you wear on your foot really doesn't matter because your body's very efficient at absorbing the impacts. Um, so we're not going to nitpick as to whether a little bit of cushioning versus no cushioning is a better way of doing it because it depends on the person. I think the real conversation is how are you running? And, and you know, running in a more barefoot shoe or, or a less cushioned shoe makes you have to focus on the technique you're using because if you're not running with good technique and without cushioning on your shoes, 
it it's almost self-limiting. Like it doesn't let you run with shitty technique. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. And it's a it's, we got to talk about tissue tolerance too because if you're not used to running that way, it's going to take a lot of time to build up, and that's just the way it is. So you can't if you're used to running one way for 10k's and you've done. Uh, a bunch of them, let's say, and and you try to change to this new way of running, you're not going to be able to just continue with your the same distance. You're going to have to cut it way down. Yeah, um, you got to re- rebuild your running technique and almost rebuild your tissue tolerance because mm-hmm. if you're using muscles, if you're using your calf and your Achilles tendon as springs to store and re-release energy every single step, they're getting kind of like you know they're taking heavy impacts, which they're designed to do, but they're not designed to get overloaded you know, in, in a week, right? If you start deadlifting, you're not going to deadlift 300 pounds for 30 reps. Every time you go in the first time you deadlift, you're going to do it slowly and slowly progress. And the same mindset has to be taken with running. I think too many runners look at the, uh, like an outcome goal. Like I'm going to train this much per week or train this many kilometers or this amount of volume when they really don't pay much attention to what is what is the quality of that training I'm doing, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, the importance of the quality of how you run instead of how much you're running plays a big, much bigger impact on performance, but also an even bigger conversation is injury prevention. If you run shitty and you run a lot, you're just going to get injured quicker mm-hmm. um, or more frequently. But if you focus more on, okay, maybe one day a week instead of running, I spend that day on technique or I spend, do some barefoot running drills or um, I do some just drills to get me using my springs a little bit more, do some skipping, um, you know, work on my hip stability, spend some time on a beam, spend some time balancing or working on shallow single leg squats to make sure my knees going in the right position. That's probably much better time spent in terms of even on the performance side than just going out for a run. And and the other thing is too that like I think a lot of a lot of these shoes which we'll get into with the lifting shoes after is they they'll hide other problems like mobility problems. Mm-hmm. So let's say your ankle is not moving like your ankle should be moving. Um that that heel strike or that pad underneath is just going to allow you to to run through it. Whereas mm-hmm. you're going to notice these things uh, a lot more when you try to run in a barefoot style. Yep. Like if your joints aren't moving, if your hardware is not moving like it should, uh, that's going to affect your the software of your running pattern. So I think yep. that it just doesn't allow you to hide these things anymore, which I think a, a big padded shoe will allow you to hide not only your technique, but also like the mobility problems that are affecting your technique. It's like a painkiller so, for, for mobility problems or strength problems when running. It yeah. just covers it up and allows you to cover it up until you just can't do it anymore because your knees are blowing up. Exactly. Because yeah, if you are trying to run barefoot style with ankles that, that you're missing 30, 40% of their range of motion, that's not going to be very sustainable either. Right. Yeah. And it's not efficient. It's not no. performance wise. Like, for most people, the way you get them motivated to actually work on stuff is talking about they don't want to hear, oh, it's going to prevent injuries because they don't give a shit about preventing injuries. They just deal with the injuries when they come up. But when you say this will let you run faster, this will improve your running times, they're like, okay, I'm listening now. What can, mm-hmm. like, Tell me what I can do. That's how you get the buy-in from people. And injury prevention and performance are both the exact same thing because it all boils down to efficiency. If you're running efficiently, you're going to run faster with less energy expenditure, but you're also going to stop forces and impacts going to joints that they're not supposed to supposed to go to because you're using the right muscles and the right joints mm-hmm. for the right for purpose but for the impact yeah so i think i think that brings us right back to where we started with this is that let's say you're having mobility issues that are preventing you from running barefoot or barefoot style i think again that barefoot style is always like that common ground that we should all agree on it's like if you can sh- demonstrate that you can run in a barefoot style for any given length of distance and get away with it mm-hmm. and it feels good then you've earned the right to use then, cushioning footwear then you can use whatever you want as long as you know what that that looks like so uh or that feels like so it's just a matter of like 
that is same thing with the the lifting shoes that we'll get into it's like demonstrate that you can like work out squat do whatever you need to do barefoot and then the shoes are just kind of icing on the cake if you decide that you need them for whatever given reason that you you choose to use them for because yeah. it ultimately is your decision and and if you're running like ultra marathons another thing we talk about is like the trail running like sometimes i'll be running and, the, and a big like rock will will just stab me in the foot type of thing yeah. um not stab me but it just like it'll really throw you off and you have to get your your balance back on and keep on going it doesn't yeah. happen often but depends on the, the terrain you're on so yeah. some a little bit of cushion there can be good always back to how should you be running underneath all of that yeah so and, and i think another part too is in order for these running shoe companies to shove a huge like a, a thicker pad of cushioning under the heel they have to inevitably heel lift the shoe right so the heel of the shoe is higher than the forefoot of the shoe if you look at it from a lateral profile if going into end range dorsiflexion is the cue that your brain uses to trigger your glute to turn on and you have a shoe with a heel lift, you're not going to be able to access end range dorsiflexion as well. So you're not going to get the same trigger for the glute. You're not going to get as much spring in your Achilles. So that's just another problem. And I think it's just we've almost gone so excessive with how shoes are built. Um, and it is kind of counterintuitive. Like when you first tell people the more cushioning you have in your shoe, the harder the the harder the impact forces are on your body. And they're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I thought I had cushioning to reduce the impacts on my body. And the analogy that I've been giving people and that seems to resonate is if I got you to jump off of a three-foot uh, box onto hard ground with nothing on your feet, you'd land extremely softly, right? Because you know that ground is hard. If I land like shit, I'm going to hurt my body. So you land softly. If I tell you to jump off that same three-foot box onto a thick layer of padding, you actually, whether you realize it or not, you actually land quite hard because your body wants feedback from the ground when it contacts it. So if there's a soft, squishy surface, your body really wants to land hard to get that feedback. So you actually land way harder on a cushion surface than you do on a hard surface. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe me, test it out yourself. Bring that over to running. The thicker the cushioning you have on your shoes, the harder you land with each step. You don't feel the harshness of that landing as in like heel pain because it's cushioning that. But those impact forces, instead of being at your heel, are just going to your knee, your hip, your low back, you know, all the way yeah. to the base of your skull in the course of like 0.1 of a second. So that's so, like a, it's a feel thing and it's what your body's feeling from the ground and perceiving. Yeah. And for me, that's really what changed my mind about it is like the actual feel you get from running with more of a minimalist style shoe or barefoot style shoe. Definitely. You can't replace the feel of it. Mm-hmm. So I just feel it's like authentic I, and you, and you, you get the feedback from yeah. the ground. It's a totally different experience. It's like driving a manual car. You just, it's a way more visceral sensory experience than, than, you know, running with a cat, a, a, a cast with a pillow on top of it, on top of your foot. It's just, you can't and compare them. When I use the Vibrams too, the feel that you get from, you can actually use your toes to start being toes when you're running. So basically like helping push off a lot more and, mm-hmm. and grip and feel it's like you're connected to the ground in a weird way. And, yeah. and you just really don't get that with a, uh, a padded shoe. It just feels like you're, yeah, it's like you're running with literally shoe condoms on. Yeah. Like, like yeah, it's that, exactly. that like same analogy, <laughs> That's a good analogy because it's like, you're not getting that same feel, um, of what you would otherwise. So, yeah. okay, let's move on to the next one. So cleats, this one, very similar to the golf one. I think if you're playing soccer or you're playing football, um, it makes a lot of sense to put a piece of footwear on that gives you traction, right? If you want to pivot, especially on these grass surfaces where there's a little bit of dampness and slipperiness, um, you know, or ultimate frisbee, wear something with cleats on it. But same thing as a golf one. Don't sacrifice the traction with the cleats. Um, don't don't get the traction 
while sacrificing other very important parts. So like one of the big problems we were talking about is cleats are just too damn narrow, right? I used to use soccer cleats when I played rugby and I look at that cleat now and it's literally like, <laughs> it's like half the width of my natural foot width right now. So, and you know, my feet have probably gotten a little bit wider over the past years, but I used to always have sore feet and blisters and all these problems with uh, with my feet after a rugby game. I couldn't wait to get the cleats off. And I don't think I realized at the time that they were just too narrow, right? Like they were the right length, they're too narrow, and they make cleats narrow so that you have like a perform- quote-unquote performance fit, right? You want the thing to be snug so that your foot's not sliding around within the cleat, but just make sure you find a cleat that's wide enough for your foot and also is flexible enough that it lets your foot articulate because that's a performance enhancer, mm-hmm. right? Thin sole, wide forefoot and flexible cleat is actually going to enhance your performance and your feel for the ground and your ability to use your feet uh, versus something that's super narrow and super stiff. Yeah, I see that a lot even in in clinic with a lot of the soccer players that I that I treat. So yeah. they'll have feet. yeah, they'll have the cleat feet. They'll be really kind of like it's almost like they're bound up from the cleat. Yeah. So because you're really just putting them in these like the cleats are oftentimes not shaped like shoes that are they're almost like little like submarines that come to <laughs> yeah they're like uh, narrow long yeah weird looking things so you just kind of put them in there and then you just tie the crap out of them because again you want that that stability yeah. uh, from it but again the, what it does is just kind of completely crams your foot in whenever your foot can't work like it should be working then you're going to rely more on ankle strategies when it can't work like it would work barefoot when it can't work like it's barefoot then it, you're going to rely more on ankle strategies you're taking away what the foot can actually do in terms of stability yep. and again you're sending it to more upstream areas so like it's just going to be you know overloading your ankles a lot more you're not getting the same feel from the ground um, and then your feet become those same type of i've seen a lot of soccer players with those like almost uh sleepy feet the same thing it's like they, mm-hmm. they're just barefoot and you get them to balance or, or do some beam work and it's just that the, the toes are not kicking in the intrinsics of the foot are not kicking in and they're mm-hmm. just kind of again relying more on that ankle strategy it's it's a weird thing to see from like even some high level soccer players uh who are really good on their feet mm-hmm. um with footwork and things like that but um again it just comes back to the same as the golf shoes it's it's can't we do it better in terms of we can like yeah like eventually tfc is going to make footwear and i think sports specific footwear like golf shoes and cleats are going to be a big a big area of research right like how about a company that spends time researching what's the best performance enhancing fit for a, a piece of footwear and obviously you start with more of the elite guys because putting in research makes it so that a more customized piece of footwear is more expensive but those are the people that need it like there was a couple of videos i put one up not long ago i think it was um soccer player messi was messing around juggling barefoot and there's been a couple of soccer players that um i've seen videos or have been sent videos of them being barefoot and and obviously they're doing it for a reason they get better feel from the ground they get better feel when they're juggling a ball a lot um, of them learn that way too a lot of them grow up true playing barefoot their yeah. whole lives and then as soon as they start to get into more you know intense competition that's where they obviously start wearing cleats and stuff like that but like playing with their friends playing yeah. as a kid all barefoot and and like part of it too that gets complicated in pro sports is um footwear sponsorships right like if nike mm-hmm. sponsors you you're probably going to wear a nike cleat yeah. <laughs> you have to wear a nike cleat whether or not it's a cleat that is good for your foot or fits your foot well um and unfortunately the guy that goes to you as an athlete and says here are the cleats that we can make for you is probably not a health professional. It's probably not someone that understands feet. They understand marketing and they understand making a flashy cleat that they can put on an athlete and sell lots of cleats with. But, you know, it, they just taking a tiny bit of a foot-centric foot function focus with their footwear, it should make sense, especially mm-hmm. at the elite level. Like, you know, I always ask people, what's, what's easier, balancing on something that's narrow or balance, balancing on something that's wide? Obviously, balancing on something that's wide is, gives you a much more stable foundation 
if your wide foot is being compressed to shit inside of a cleat, your balance is not as good. Your ability to react and stabilize and prevent ankle sprains or prevent missteps is not as good. So you're you're literally detracting from performance by shoving your foot into a narrow cleat. And, and I think we got a clue into the fact that, okay, feet are important. They play an important role. Let's not mess them up with the footwear that we put on top of them, especially at the elite level, but I think at any level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big one. Anyway, that's cleats. And the last one we're going to finish off with, this is a really controversial one, um, is lifting shoes. And, you know, I've put out a post a few times uh, that talks about, it basically said humans aren't designed to need these to squat. And there's a picture of a lifting shoe. And I think when people see that, they instantly get, get very um, defensive saying, uh, well, why do all the best Olympic weightlifters wear lifting shoes? And, you know, I, I've stopped responding to comments because it would just literally consume my everyday every minute of my life because there's so many comments to go through now. But, um, you know, I said, I mentioned squat, not Olympic weightlifting. And I think it's important for people. So a couple things to look at one, if you need lifting shoes to squat, if you feel better in lifting shoes when squatting, because you see a lot of these people on Instagram putting up an analysis of torso angle with a lifting shoe versus no lifting shoe. And they're saying, Oh, it's an improved angle. You've got better biomechanics when you're wearing a lifting shoe. It's like, well, do they realize that you could have that exact same torso angle and lifting position if you just had 15 degrees more ankle mobility in dorsiflexion Mm. because you would achieve the same thing right that heel lift is essentially just covering up a deficit in ankle mobility if you can't achieve that same position without the lifting shoes on yeah exactly and it so now if you are a high level competitor and let's say you're in olympic weightlifting so if you're throwing up a snatch or a clean at the elite level probably lifting shoes will give you a performance enhancing edge to let you get deeper under the bar. Yeah. I agree with that. And for I, sure. I'm not going to tell Lu Zhaojun not to wear lifting shoes. And a like, lot of those guys still like, and again, those are high level elite lifters. They already have, here's the thing. They already have like prime mobility, yeah, right? They so they probably lift without, they, I see some of these guys train without lifting shoes. Yeah. They're using them for the edge they get in terms of their sport. The they're not trying to cover up lack of mobility i think that's exactly. the biggest point is that when you see a day-to-day lifter in the gym that decides that they should probably get lifting shoes because they see other people wearing them and oh these are meant for squats and stuff like that. i did it we both did it we I both did bought it, yeah. it honestly i think now it's more of a fashion statement and more of like a gym swag thing than it is people actually understanding why they're using them and that brings you to like the argument that a lot of people have is well it's more of a stable platform and base um, and that is true to some extent. Well, relative where, to what? Re- relative to a cushion running shoe? Yeah, well, I agree. It, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's relative to what I was wearing before I went to those, then mm-hmm. it is, it feels a lot better. Yeah. Regardless of the ankle range of motion that you gain from them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, yeah, he was wearing just like trainer shoes or like, yeah. r- I, think, I don't know, running shoes even. You're just like flopping around, squishing around in those. So obviously, it's not going to be a very stable base. The chain, the base is actually changing as you're squatting. Yeah. Um, and you it's, see, you it's see preventing those... you from stabilizing well at all. <laughs> the classic is when you see a guy wearing like air air 360s while squatting and the air bubble is just like he's literally creating instability when he's trying to get stability in a in a heavy lift exactly classic so it's like yeah compared to that you're going to get more of a stable base and more stability from that flat platform of the shoe 
But you want to know what's it, more stable? What's more stable is your foot on the ground, eliminating <laughs> that thing in the middle, yeah, right? Exactly. So that's what people don't get. It's like, okay, well, you're going to get way more benefit from what you can do with your feet. When yeah. your feet are in contact with the ground, you're eliminating that thing in between the ground and your foot. And, and that way you can actually use, again, those those toes, those muscle intrinsics of the foot. Your foot to really can grip. splay. Your foot can, can splay. It can pick up all the surface area you yeah. need. It's not being crammed in. Because a lot of those lifting shoes, that's another thing, are narrow Point, pointed toes. pointy. Yeah. So again, you're not getting what you need to out of that um, that gripping effect from your feet and that rooting effect from the ground. So Now, let's put a little asterisk beside that. So lifting shoes are more stable than cushion running shoes, but not as good or as stable or don't allow the optimal foot function as being barefoot but if you're used to lifting and lifting shoes if you're used to squatting let's talk about squatting and deadlifting because those those are the main ones that kind of um get us a little bit frustrated when you see someone squatting every day not olympic weightlifting not putting up snatches and cleans but squatting um in lifting shoes you can't just ditch your lifting shoes and assume you're going to squat the same way or assume you're going to squat the same weights because there's an adaptation period. It Eliminating lifting shoes forces you to, number one, deal with ankle mobility problems that you've been covering up with the lifting shoes. So you got to deal with that. And you deal with that by working on your ankles and, and addressing the root cause of why your ankle's locked up. Is it a hip stability problem? Is it a calf tension problem? Is this a, um, you know an ankle sprain that you had three years ago that you never actually rehabbed and fixed? So you have to address that, and then you have it, it's a different movement, right? Like yeah. you're going into depths of and angles of hip range and ankle range that you haven't gone into before. You have to rebuild your squat. You have changes to... the biomechanics of it. So you need to inherently, yeah, and you you need to build up not only the make sure the hardware is on point again, but make sure that software is adapting to that new, you know, the new angles that you've introduced. So yeah. you're you're just having to do something different, like you say. So it's just kind of like the running we just talked about is you're gonna have to work on it you're not gonna be able to throw up the same weights you, yeah. you were with bare feet right away it's gonna feel weird you're gonna cut your depth down yeah. all these things you gotta take ownership of it and you have to take sometimes you need to take a few steps back to take a few steps forward if lifting heavy weights is more important to you than lifting weights properly um then that's your choice but usually that comes along with injuries at some point yeah. or you reach a ceiling where you can you you hit a point where you can't lift more because your mechanics are now the rate limiting step and not your strength and so you know, you get buy-in from people that way. It's like, okay, you've reached a weight where you can't keep marching up in terms of how much weight you're squatting. Be open-minded to addressing, get get them to do a barefoot squat and see that they're about to fall on their ass or they have to lean their torso forward. Okay, that, you know, you look at it, okay, your ankles are locked up. Let's fix this and let's get you doing barefoot bodyweight squats to start. Then we can put a, an, an unweighted bar on your back and try that. Now let's try a plate on each side and how does that feel? You know, mm-hmm. use that bar to almost work you into that ankle range, groove that pattern, and then build up. And what people find is they build up super quick. If you already have the muscular capacity, you just have to get the software back in line with that new motor program um, when you're barefoot. And, you know, my squats felt way better. I didn't have as much discomfort in the whole, in my, in like the deepest part of my squat. The depth started increasing and the actual amount of weight that I could squat went up, mm-hmm. but it took time. Like it exactly. took, there was like a two month adjustment period where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. This is like, it was hard because I was just trying to do too much weight, 
before my body was comfortable going into that range. And there's different, and that's talking about the back squat specifically. I mean, like that's not the holy grail. Like it seems to be the holy grail of squatting in people's minds, but so many different ways to squat. And if you want to, if your end goal is to build up a back squat, you can also use all these other ways of squatting, like mm-hmm. with kettlebells. Yeah, um, I goblet squat way more. This cannonball squat where I hold like palm, uh, the round part of a kettlebell, mm-hmm. I'm loving that lately because I can do it unilaterally. I put it on one side, do five reps, put it on the other side you feel your whole torso light up because you have a unilateral load um, and you're in this front rack position where you have to organize your shoulder. I, I've, I've been really liking that one lately. And so the big thing is like you can be – if people like Chris Duffin, he's one example that really shows that you can be a world-class Pete Rubish, squatter. Or he's more squ- with deadlifting actually. Yeah, so That's a lot of thing. people – so with the squat itself, um, Chris Duffin is getting like insane numbers – um, as a barefoot squatter and he's he's attributing a lot of it to what he's getting from his feet so the mm-hmm. stability that he gets so it just kind of proves that yeah you can put up even world-class elite powerlifter numbers in, a, in yeah. let's say a back squat yeah for sure. um with bare feet and the deadlifting is a is kind of deadlifting a is different no example if you're wearing lifting shoes for deadlifting you need to reassess what, yeah because <laughs> you're getting your information from because that is the, that is you're literally handcuffing your performance with zero i don't even know what the benefit would be I, unless it's just a look for swag i mean it can cover up some gross mobility problems but i mean you want more of a vertical shin angle for the deadlift anyways yeah. so it's a lot of people are starting to transition to well, a lot of people use flats, but yeah. a lot of people are trying to tra- starting to transition to barefoot because again, they're getting the stability gains. And even uh, out of I it. think powerlifters are trying to. Didn't you say they're trying to get the rules changed so that they can be barefoot and they don't have to wear footwear? Yeah, because right now they're being forced to wear footwear in competition, which is mm-hmm. when you know that being barefoot or being in a very different kind of footwear enhances your ability to stabilize from the ground. Um, so it's what a lot silly of them, to be forced to wear shoes. That's it. What a lot of them are doing is wearing those like little. They almost look like little socks that yeah. they put on. So they're like powerlifting. I don't even know what you call them, but um, that, that's their way around it. But again, it's like they'd rather not have that on a lot of them mm-hmm. so they can get that stability from the ground. But it just it's just, again, the, the rules that we're trying to skirt around. So Yeah. So anyway, that covers, um, you know, sports-specific footwear. It's We're not against footwear. We're just for understanding the effects of footwear when they have negative parts built into them. But what about one of those things is, CrossFit's an interesting example because it incorporates some of the Olympic lifts, um, mm-hmm. but it incorporates a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that like certain movements in CrossFit, you might get an advantage from that heel again, like the Olympic lifts. But then everything else, um, barefoot would be the way to go. And you don't necessarily need to. You can still like I've seen it on uh, Instagram a lot. I've seen it with some of the local gyms. Is there's some there's some guys and girls starting to uh, barefoot snatch clean and jerk things yeah. like that it's again it's like with what are we Chris trying technique yeah like, those are probably outliers because to have you know well two things either you have a really powerful upswing so that you don't have to get as deep under the bar and you know i think a lot of the ones that i've seen are ones that are grooving patterns with light or That's lighter weight just gonna say because so like doing a one one rep max or grooving it and most of crossfit is not like you do have the one rep max um yeah you're right but of it is most of it is not that so it's like well if you're not trying to squeeze out that last little bit to get under a, a max snatch or, or clean jerk it's like do you really um do you really need that or would it benefit you to not use your shoes so you can get more stability from the ground again so yeah. i think crossfitting is probably going barefoot would be a performance enhancer in the long run um, for most things that you're doing in crossfit um and i think it's just again the 
just the way we look at things. A lot of CrossFitters do have their specific Olympic lifting shoe, mm-hmm. and then they'll take off their shoes and wear more of the CrossFit style trainers. Like a nano or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So I would say that, okay, that's fair. They're doing it for a reason, mm-hmm. but maybe we can rethink that as well. And actually one thing uh, I just remembered, when you're taking away that heel lift with your lifters or when you're trying to get towards being competent and doing a barefoot squat or doing loaded barefoot squats, I think another background thing we got to talk about is what does your everyday footwear look like? Like if you're wearing dress shoes at work, you're wearing running shoes, walking around and everything has a heel lift, it's going to be way harder to wean away from that Olympic weightlifting heel lifted shoe. If you're spending all day with slight plantar flexion with your toes slightly pointed and your heel lifted off the ground, it's going to be extremely hard to get mm-hmm. competent in a barefoot squat. So, you know, one thing I mentioned to everyone is, okay, we know that getting you out of these lifting shoes to squat in is going to be long-term the best um, the best idea for performance and for making sure you have the right mobility to, to be able to squat. But we got to get you out of heel-lifted footwear as your everyday footwear. That's a big part. That's like one of the biggest elements that allows you to progress much quicker is take away the heel lift in all your footwear eventually because exactly. that allows you your day-to-day moving around is now working on reestablishing ankle range. And here's one thing that I found. When someone does that, they're able to get their barefoot squat dialed in so much quicker. It's oh, crazy because yeah. all day they're using that inner range of dorsiflexion when they're walking, when they're running, when they're skipping, um, when when they get rid of that heel lift. So I think that's a that's a big part that should always be in the back of your mind um, if you're trying to transition away from heel lifted footwear, especially in something like the squat, because um, it makes a big difference. So, so I would say that overall, with all of these things we just talked about, is know why you're wearing a piece of footwear if you are wearing it. Yeah. Uh, understand that oftentimes you can get way more benefit from eliminating the the, the footwear altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some of these things, some sports, you're going to get some benefit from wearing them. Just to make um, sure that those benefits, you're not like for golf and soccer, don't get the traction at the expense of most of your other foot function. Yeah. At the expense of ankle range, foot mobility, um, and your foot being able to splay out nice and wide. So just, you know... Like you said, sports-specific footwear is not bad, but there's a lot of bad sports-specific footwear out there. So just be aware of what to look for in a piece of footwear that makes it such that it's going to optimize your foot function instead of detract from it, um, and then you're safe, especially mm-hmm. with running. Get away from cushioned running shoes, or if you're going to use it for long-distance running, um, make sure you're running with correct technique, and then you've earned the right to use some cushioning to help you know, take the edge off of that, you know, the adaptation of going to more minimal footwear or changing your running technique. And you can do both. You can go down both roads at once, Yeah, right? You don't have to completely switch over. Um, Just know where you want to get to. Add some components of that in while you still do do it the way you're doing it um, and slowly adapt to where you want to be in your end goal. So just know why you're doing everything and, and do it the right way. And we can talk more specifically in future podcasts about how you'd delve into switching and transitioning to more of a barefoot style shoe in running and just kind of taking it step by step. Again, everyone's very different. Um, That's, you know, everyone wants the answer. Everyone wants like an outline week by week, but it's like everyone is so different that you can't do that. People need need to be taught how to self-regulate so that if something's not going, okay, sure, it's good to have this broad outline plan, but if plan A is not working, what's the next Uh, Like, what do you need to do? How do you need to modify this? And teaching people how to self-regulate and self-modify instead of having to be told exactly what to do every step of the way, Mm -hmm. I think is a sustainable way to get people to understand how to switch over instead of just being dependent on, okay, you need to tell me what to do. It's like, no, I need to teach you based on how you're feeling. What is good discomfort? What is bad discomfort? What are signals that you're doing it too quick or or that you can do it quicker? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we'll definitely cover that in a future podcast. So let's wrap this up. Hopefully that gives you guys an idea of what to look for in uh, athletic footwear and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks. Bye.